3: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books in Russian and Eurasian Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Eva Glishich, the host of the channel. Today, we'll be talking to Anna Bokov about her new book, Avant-Garde as Method, Futemas and the Pedagogy of Space from 1920 to 1930. Anna Bokov is an architect, urban designer and historian specializing in the history of avant-garde movements and design pedagogy. She's a faculty member at the Cooper Union and the City College in New York and a fellow of the Center for Advanced Studies in Architecture at ETH Zürich. Anna, welcome to the show. Hi, Eva. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Anna, I wonder if we could uh, begin the interview by te- if you could tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Sure. Um, so I, um, I'm trained as an architect, uh, which... Um, is perhaps somewhat unusual for uh, you know somebody who's working in the history of the avant-garde uh, in that way, and I uh, am an educator uh, and a historian, of course, as well. So I've uh, been teaching for uh, consistently for uh, quite some time now, uh, and I uh, also uh, practiced as an architect in uh, in various settings. Uh, my interest in Futimas actually started while I was a student, uh, a graduate student at uh, Harvard GSD, and uh, I even did a small student uh, exhibition on Futimas uh, back then already, and uh, you know, it's one of those things where I thought uh, when I first encountered uh, myself, the work of, the student work of Hutu uh, particularly the course space, I was so surprised to see that work because I felt that it was really um, current. It was really similar to what uh, you know myself and, and, and my classmates were doing in the studio. And it just felt that it was, uh, you know, I felt an immediate connection to it uh, back then as a student uh, of of architecture. And so I thought, oh, how exciting. This is really something that we uh, maybe didn't know so much about this avant-garde period, which is really all about the stars. You know, the stars are very well known. So Rochink, Lisitsky, Popova, Stepanova, you know, uh, many, many others, Tatlin, of course, right? Those are those sort of people who we think of when we think of Russian avant-garde. And uh, we think of them as those kind of, at least I thought of them as those kind of singular, unique artists uh, at the kind of starry sky of this uh, incredible, uh, this kind of incredible constellation of stars at that time. What I did not know was uh, that they were all teachers. They were all Pedagogues—they uh, were uh, very, very committed to teaching at this institution at Futimas. And, uh, for example, Rochenko taught there the entire ten years. Uh, he really, you know, was involved with the curriculum. He was involved with the foundational courses. He was involved with building his own new, entirely new program on um, basically what we today understand as industrial design. And it—it it wasn't something that, uh, you know. I knew, even though I, I also, you know, I grew up in in Moscow. I uh, come from uh, a family of architects, so in a way, this kind of, you know, cloud of the avant-garde is something that, uh, <laughs> one, yeah, uh, was sort of wrapped in. Uh, and I just, it was, it was. Yet Futamas was a revelation when I first saw this uh, the student works from the from the twenties.
3: Yeah, that's, that's really interesting because my impression uh, reading your book was you know, similar that I knew so much about this period and about these um, protagonists in your book, but then there was su- such a big aspect of their work that I wasn't familiar uh, with especially the, the pedagogical work that they were involved with. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your book, actually the object. The, uh, the, your book is absolutely wonderful. It contains um tremendous amount of visual material, including photographs, drawings, and reproductions of relevant documents and publications. So, so just for our listeners to clarify, but this is an A4 format book, um, it, something like 600 over 600 pages most of it just stunning illustrations um so i was wondering if you could, can tell us a little bit about the archives and the collections you consulted for your research um, and how did you select illustrations for your book
2: of course yes and maybe before i uh, do that i also want to say that uh this book was possible uh Thanks to the incredible, incredible uh, publisher, uh, Park Books, uh, and uh, the you know incredible team there uh, who you know worked with me tirelessly over the course of several years, in fact, and uh, were you know dedicated. They were truly visionary because it took somebody to, you know like them uh, to really see this uh, you know see the potential, see the importance, uh, see the, you know, relevance of a project like this and, uh, you know, invest in it, in terms of their, you know, time and, uh, and, you know, everything, the resources. Uh, so really I'm, I'm very grateful and, uh, I'm, incredibly fortunate to uh, you know have uh, been working with parkbooks uh and also incredible designers so the designers from the bonbon bon studio in zurich uh, are just magicians you know because a lot of those images were uh, really uh, of let's say let's say varied quality <laughs> because you know there are newspaper clippings there are photographs of photographs of photographs there you know there there there's various scans there's even some iphone (laughs) pictures in there so so it's really uh it's really kind of uh you know a collection true true kind of uh yeah ad hoc collection of different of different things and to uh bring them to this incredible uh level of visual quality, of kind of aesthetic consistency. Again, it took, um, you know, the kind of level of professionalism, but also a level of um just, you know, enjoyment of working with a material that I'm so fortunate to have, uh, again, been working with uh, with Bonfon Studio, because I don't think there's, <laughs> a, there are many designers in the world who are able to have the kind of patience, I would say. Yeah. No, I can certainly appreciate skills. it. It yeah. is very,
3: very um, uh, consistent in terms of the quality of, of reproductions. And yeah, given the material you're working with, it's it's really quite, quite yeah, astonishing. <laughs>
2: and also bringing it you know bringing it to the kind of um common denominator of uh uh of of a of a kind of uh typographic quality that is uh with, that makes this material resonate with us today because uh i think uh, you know there's there 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 are you know many of those images were you know published before uh and many of them uh, are were were sort of you know, perhaps you could, you could look at them, but you won't really see them. You know, you you would sort of not be able to recognize them, uh, for what they are. And I think what we were able to do is really highlight the kind of, um, let's say incredible, uh, uh, you know, nature that's, that's in them, the kind of spirit that's in them, uh, in many ways, in many cases, the, so, you know, the bulk of the, uh, of the images in the book. is actually um, the uh, images or, I'll say, photographs and drawings uh, of various exercises from the course space that was a foundational course introduced by Ladovsky and uh, his colleagues, Dokuchev and Krinsky, at Futemas in 1920, already in 1920. And the reason why I I think it's important is because it was... uh, I argue uh, one of the, perhaps the first actually course on teaching modern architecture, especially on this kind of mass scale. Because if we compare it to the contemporary of Hotemas, the much more famous Bauhaus, uh, architecture curriculum did not start in earnest until um, the uh, tenure of Hannes Meyer, right, around 1927, 28 even. So uh, it's a kind of much later moment in the, in the, uh, in the 20s. At Hutamas, they start right away uh, with architecture training, and they start right away with reconceptualizing what the training is going to be like if they were to teach this subject as a modern subject, not as an academic subject, right? Not not, not as a kind of classical uh, architecture orders and, you know, what, what was sort of taught before, copying the precedents from antiquity, et cetera, et cetera. So here they're starting to teach something that is really still in the kind of nascent phases of its development as a field, right? I mean, of course we have already some examples of modern architecture, but they're very, very few. and. Uh, there's this notion that they're doing something that, uh, you know, is not yet really fully formed as a, as, a, as, a, as a field, as a subject. So so it's fascinating. How do you teach something what you don't know yet, right? So this, this is the main question. I think this is a testament to the power of pedagogy that, uh, that they develop in this moment. So the core space then occupies the, the kind of the core place in the book and is, uh, it kind of is a sequence of images throughout the book. So you can sort of, uh, read the book in a couple of different ways. Uh, and in some ways it is, you know, it is very much a visual journey as it is a, uh, kind of a a reading one as a verbal one, because for me also in here, back to me being (laughs) trained as an architect, uh, I sort of you know learn, I, I see the world uh, very much or experience the world very much in visual terms and so for me having that um ability to really dive in and experience those uh let's say those 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 kind of sometimes very very uh uh naive i would say even uh exercises and and, and projects and and models is uh is a great pleasure you know because i can really you know imagine Things while looking at them, they are very evocative, etc., etc. And I hope that's something what is experienced by by others. And to continue on that on that, uh, <laughs> sorry, I know, because this is, I'm I'm, de- I'm I'm kind of uh, uh, moving away from your from your question. Um, no,
3: no, that's I, fine. I mean, it's definitely the case that the the book, um, uh, and we'll talk about this foundational course that is really at the center of your research and and this study, uh, but the the. Um, the research really works and and the narrative with the images, because you get really to dive in into the kind of work that the students and the staff at the school uh, were doing at the time. So yeah, no, absolutely.
2: And uh, yeah, back to the question of the kind of where those images are from. So uh, there is the school closed in 1930, uh, as we know, and after it closed, it really was not just closed, it was sort of uh, shut down, and it was really proclaimed on as part like it, it. It was proclaimed formalist, quote unquote, by the Stalinist authorities, right? Because there was a change. There is a change of government, but there is also a change of really kind of ideological paradigm, a larger change that we see in the 30s. And it takes a few years for it to really settle in. But we have, right, um, I mean, we can define it from I don't know, from avant-garde to socialist realism or from uh, Leninism to Stalinism, however you want to describe this. But there is a, it's a huge shift. And Futamas becomes... Uh, really uh, not something that uh, it it becomes a kind of really derogatory sort of, uh, you know, formalism becomes a derogatory term and Futimas becomes a school that uh, symbolizes that period and everybody wants to, at a certain point, uh, is forced to, I would say, not wants to, is forced Mm to uh, move away from that and kind of forget it and, 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 uh, of course, its archives also become, in way, victim of this transition and um, you know my understanding is that they get uh, essentially destroyed one way or the other. Um, you know some of the archives get destroyed uh, we know before the World War II uh, for various reasons, uh, meaning the visual archives, right? so we're talking about the kind of uh, you know if the school maintained its fund of student works that many of the student works that were, in the school were essentially somehow, you know, lost, and whether again whether they were lost to, uh, you know, a fire and uh, the fact that you know apparently there was a lot of fires in the uh, before the um, uh, before the war, right before the war, as the city was evacuating in 1941, uh, or there were also other you know more kind of deliberate attempts to destroy the archives. One way or the other. Basically, much of the uh, or none of the let's say none of the models, physical models that were produced in this, uh, in the twenties, or almost none of them survived. So the only thing that we have are the photographs and we have drawings. So essentially, we have the kind of flat uh, files, and those flat files, even even you know the ones that that we we have today, uh, many of them were. Uh, essentially, kept thanks to uh, various private uh, private archives, right? So students and the faculty of HUTAMAS kind of held on to their own works, to the works of their classmates, to the works of their students, and then in the uh, beginning, in the f- sort of late fifties, early sixties, uh, or mid sixties, uh, when of course Stalinism is is uh, over with there is a slow, slow resurgence in uh, opening up and opening up the conversation about Futimas again. Mm-hmm. And so the historians, young historians at that time, such as uh, Selim Khan-Mogomedov and, uh, I don't know, and and and, and, and uh, others are slowly beginning to kind of uncover the, uh, hutamas and 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 uh, and go into those sort of private, uh, you know, to visiting families and and survivors of hutamas and uh, collecting the the works. And so much of that is uh, thanks to their effort. Whatever is left, then there are uh, two museums in particular that were incredibly helpful: Museum of Architecture, Shusev Museum of Architecture in Moscow, that uh, has. Uh, been growing its collection of the period uh, over the recent decades and uh, also museum of the Moscow architectural institute that has uh, again been uh, it's one of those kind of very interesting phenomena where it's a, it's it's a it's an archive but it's also a museum and they have um, you know kind of Collected again over the years uh the various uh various bits of uh, of Futamas works. So and again, this is a kind of an ongoing project, right? Because it's not something that just stops. And in fact, even uh recently there was an exhibition on Futamas in Moscow that I uh co-curated. And there Again, we were struck by the fact that there were people last year coming out and saying, actually, you know, my grandmother apparently, we just discovered, had something behind the bookshelf. I didn't know what it was, but now that I see this show about Futimas, I realize she was a Futimas student and here are her works. Are you interested? I mean, it's, you know, and and it's a, we're talking about a big school. (laughs) We're talking about thousands of people involved. So you know, it's, this archive is, is, is a continuous project. We're going to be collecting it and building it and growing it for hopefully, you know, again, decades to come. And, uh, it's an exciting thing. Um, and another source, uh, which is, I think very important and very exciting is uh, of course the, the kind of period literature and period press. And that was actually something that was, uh, kind of, a um, Know a surprise to me, I and and a, and a and a huge uh, uh, adventure <laughs> because I realized at certain point that practically every, I mean I won't say every single one because it's not true, but <laughs> every other uh, significant publication on uh, the period, on culture, or not, or on architecture uh, would have. Something on Futamas because it wasn't just a school; it was really a center of thought, a center of culture, a center of experimentation, and uh, a place where all of those people were, you know, were, 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 you know, teaching, studying, thinking, debating, uh, and it was really, uh, you know, to use this as a very now a very popular term, social condenser, and I, I, I kind of modified it and I used the term educational condenser. It was really an educational condenser. It was a place where, uh, where the where life was really at the time, kind of the cultural pulse of the of the of the of the state, I would say, and, and maybe that's even not- larger.
3: Yeah. Now, I was so. If we can maybe go back to the, um, the establishment of the school. So Hutima stands from um, higher art and technical studios, as you said. It was established in 1920. I was wondering if you can tell us, uh, you know, a little bit about what led to, to the establishment of the school. What was its main purpose, and also if you can tell us what was its approach to training in art, architecture, and design education. and What was you know different to in its approach to the traditional training in these disciplines?
2: Of course. So, uh, Vukutimas was uh, established in 1920, but it was actually uh, a project of consolidation of uh, already a reformed school. So, the first uh, reform that... uh, We see after the revolution in 1917, one of the first reforms, and we're talking nationalization of land, abolition of private property, and other incredibly kind of uh, significant reforms that are happening uh, after 1917. Uh, One of the one of the reforms that uh, happens in 1919 is the educational reform. And they actually, among, you know, sort of larger education, uh, meaning school, secondary school, et cetera, they also reform art education specifically. And so what they do is they, uh, the government, (laughs) the temporary government at that point, uh, they um, dissolve all the existing, uh, quote-unquote czarist <laughs> structures, and they uh, so in other words, uh, the Academy of uh, Art is being abolished, and also even the Applied Arts uh, School, which uh, uh, which was in fact in one of the locations uh, where where uh, where Futtermas subsequently exist. Uh, so you have uh, in a, in a sense this uh, two institutions, though the Academy and the Applied Arts School. That are being uh, you know closed, and in their place they uh, establish the so-called free state art studios. So they're also known as uh, or you can also say free state art workshops, because in a way uh, they were very much about this kind of hands-on uh, workshop as well, and. Uh, those studios are uh, very interesting because they're actually uh, run uh, and kind of conceived by the students as much uh, as the f- faculty. So the students in fact nominate the faculty at this moment in nineteen eighteen and and they and their their goal uh, at uh, initially is to create a kind of equal distribution of all artistic art movements that exist at the time so we have you know uh, this wonderful document that i include in the uh, in the book which is uh, which which talks about the fact that they have you know realism and impressionism but they also have cubism suprematism as as uh the, this new movements that are that are there that they're you know that they want to represent and they want to create you know, a studio uh, with uh, with Malevich, or a studio with Kandinsky, or a studio uh, 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 with Tatlin, and all of those are being nominated. And they're funny. Uh, I mean, I say they're funny, but there are documents which have essentially their sign-up sheets for Kandinsky's class. And so you can you could back in the day sign up and take a Kandinsky class. And the funny thing is that there's only I think that the, the sign up sheet that I saw was like four students for Kandinsky and, uh, and, and and four students for Malevich because I think at that moment it still was so new that uh, even even the students even the kind of radically minded students were skeptical of uh, of those uh, incredibly forward thinking. Painter. So actually the kind of realist school, even at that time was, was, uh, considered a much more apparently attractive, uh, and perhaps responsible choice. So that goes on for two years. And, uh, obviously it's chaotic and it is, uh, very, it's unclear, you know, what the structure is, what the duration of education is. It's this kind of revolutionary experiment in every single possible sense of this word. And, of course, as the uh, political situation stabilizes and uh, the civil war also is coming to an end in um, uh, 21, uh, by 1920, they realized that they need to, you know, kind of reform this to do something else. And at this point, what's interesting is... Um, in 1918, there is uh, this educational reform, and there is an art program that is being put forward by Anatoly Lunacharsky, who is the head of the uh, People's Commissariat of Education, and uh, that program is actually being circulated uh, in 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 uh, in Europe, in Germany in particular, and uh, people of the uh, uh, People's Council for Art uh, with Gropius and others uh, is uh, looking at that program and in fact uh, supports it and they publish it in one of the important German magazines and uh, in March 1919, so it's actually right before even the, the manifesto of the Bauhaus. So it's interesting that at that point, that the exchange and the conversation between uh, Gropius, who is about to start his own school, and the kind of, let's say, the, 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 the Soviet side, the Russian side, is quite intense and very, very positive. And uh, there's a lot of exchange happening. And, of course, Kandinsky is one of the leaders of that conversation, perhaps the leader of that conversation. And um, what is interesting is that Kandinsky then uh, looks at, subsequently at what Gropius does with the Bauhaus and then uh, makes a suggestion to, uh, you know, at that point, uh, the uh, in terms of what, what what is to happen at Futimas or how to create Futimas because, of course, these free state art studios are very exciting, but they are, as I said, very chaotic. So they decide that they should create a kind of composite institution, which is similar to Bauhaus that synthesizes uh, arts and in this case, industrial disciplines. And so that's what happens. So they sort of create this this new school uh, which has eight departments at this point, uh, eight faculties, and combines art and uh, industrial production. And Fuamas from the very beginning has a very clear uh, mandate to train artists, Um, sort of artist specialists in uh, industrial production. So they actually, as opposed to uh, the Bauhaus manifesto, the first one, the 1919 one, where there are artist craftsmen who are being trained, right? That's what Gropius puts forward, that it's about the union of arts and crafts. With Futemas, right away, there is a very clear goal of industrial production. And so um, something that then uh, Bauhaus catches on uh, quite quickly already by, I would say, 23 or so. So the the two schools are in this constant kind of dialogue and exchange in very profound ways. And they, I think, really learn from each other, uh, at least up until a certain point. And it's interesting uh, the ways in which... Uh, kind of two experiments, two educational experiments, uh, you know, in, in, in enrich one another, I would say, and inform one another.
0: This episode is brought to you by sax.com. At sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott, or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do
1: you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
3: Yeah, that's absolutely fascinating, especially against the background of very turbulent kind of political and social events that are taking place in both countries at the time. They maintain this conversation throughout um, yeah, qu- quite an intense period of, uh, historically speaking.
2: <laughs> yes, yes. And uh, they, I mean, it it is, it it is a very difficult time uh, I would say economically, for sure, for both countries. And in fact, that's I think something that brings them together at that moment, right? As both are outcast uh, from this, uh, you know, after the as a kind of as as a, as as a, as losers, I would say, of the World War One. And so that that's something that we know politically. Uh, there there is some affinity at that point in the twenties. Uh and then, uh, yeah, and then of course it all changes. <laughs> yeah, of
3: course. Now, I was wondering if you could tell us maybe a little bit about uh, the people who headed the school. So in this in this decade, the uh, school changes leadership, and we was, was first headed by Efim uh, Ravdel, then Vladimir favorsky and finally Pavel Novitsky. I was wondering if um, these changes in leadership reflected in the work of the
2: school. Yes, for sure. And this is an excellent question because so the school has this. I would say, you, we could say that it has three distinct periods. Uh, Ravdel was a, uh, was a dean until 20, 1923. Uh, Faworski steps in uh, and and uh, has, you know, his tenure lasts until 2026. And then Navitsky is the kind of last, uh, last dean uh, until the closure of the school. Uh, Ravdel is a revolutionary artist, uh, very progressive, very radical, very young. And uh, very supportive of uh, you know everything kind of uh, this kind of left art right in this most radical um, uh, radical sense, and he really believes in revolutionizing the uh, not just education but in particular he starts with a core curriculum because he thinks this is where you know. That that is the foundation, <laughs> and so in order to change the school, you have to change the foundation. So he uh, and he's very supportive of all the avant-garde artists. So the the whole you know, again, this is where that that star-studded uh, faculty comes in with uh, again, um, Rochenko and uh, initially you know Totlin Tatlin and 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 uh, others. Although Tatlin very quickly disappears and then reappears in 1927. Uh, <laughs> And initially Kandinsky even, but then Kandinsky, as we know, leaves upon, uh, uh, and eventually upon Gropius' invitation comes uh, to Bauhaus. Uh, So that's that's the most, I would say, radical moment and um, very uh, exciting in terms of the changes. But... uh, You know, I guess you cannot have this tumultuous time all the time. So, and and there is a significant. I mean, we're talking about a large institution here, right? We're talking about an institution which is about you know, anywhere between 1,000, 2,000 students uh, and corresponding number of faculty, probably, you know, anywhere around 200 or more. And uh, they're not all avant-garde, <laughs> you know I mean? Because this is, of course, right? So there, many of them are very conservative, and so there is a huge opposition to this, uh, you know, reform. And favorsky is seen, favorsky is an artist uh, and graphic artist, but he's also, uh, he's very well educated, he... Uh, actually spent quite a bit of time or, well not quite a bit he spent a couple of years in, in, in Germany but he is somebody who is much more moderate in a sense he's both um, uh, he's both you know, enthusiastic about the uh, avant-garde on a certain level but he's also not about to throw all the traditional mm-hmm. uh, kind of um, baggage out Either so, uh, his I would say his his years are thought of in that sense as the most balanced. They're kind of golden years of Hutamas. although um, yeah. So he's able to kind of create some common ground between the conservative and the. Um, the kind of more progressive faculty, and then finally, uh, the last dean is actually uh, not an, not an artist. He is uh, he's a sociologist and a critic, so he's a he's he's, uh, he's not involved with any artistic side. You know, he's not interested. <laughs> he's he's not partial in that uh, way. And what he does is he looks at it uh, from a point of view. I would say of, of um, kind of from a, a larger, maybe more distant uh, perspective, and he thinks, okay, well, uh, we're obviously not doing so well in terms of. I mean, at that point, they weren't doing so well in terms of industrial production, actually, because those faculties were actually quite small, and uh, the arts, uh, let's say, the painting and sculpture and and graphic design faculty was somewhat during uh, Paworski's period, you know, reverted back, I would say, to the kind of more conservative uh, model. And so he seemed to think that architecture was uh, the most important and the kind of future uh, faculty that uh, he wanted to concentrate on. And 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 he did, and he really felt that uh, the architecture faculty was the, uh, was the place where uh, most progressive thinking was happening, right? And so he supported, and uh, in particular, he supported the constructivists and Osa And he, mm, I think, was was in that way was actually quite uh, quite a good, mm, you know, and very progressive. We can say you know, influence and presence, but unfortunately, <laughs> you know, even he could not, I'd uh, say, maintain and. You know, keep that fort uh, and uh, from destruction. And and uh, by 1930 already, yeah, the school the school, well, the school is, is gone. What's interesting is they publish um, one of the two booklets that Futamas, you know, the kind of lar- larger booklets, larger publication that Hutamas produces. Uh, that I include in the book, the 1927 architecture of Houtemas, uh publication, and then also the uh 1929 uh routine kind of booklet about the school itself the structure of the school and it goes through it's quite detailed in terms of introducing every single department introducing uh even the admissions process and what they are you know what the program is of which department so this comes out in 1929 and as soon as this comes out the school closes so as soon as they kind of formulate what the school is <laughs> it ends it ends yeah no
3: um it's uh, a yeah, really interesting tra- tra- trajectory of, of the school. And um, I was wondering if we can talk um, a little bit about the school's foundational program. And as we flagged already in your book, you place kind of particular em- emphasis on the evolution of this uh, and development of this course. Um, and I was wondering if you can tell us about the origin. Of the course, its significance, right, in the evolution of art, architecture, and design pedagogy. And the roles of Nikolai Ladovsky and Alexander Ovachenko is kind of two figures that really shaped this course.
2: Yes, uh, thank you for this question. I would say that the reason why I wanted to focus on, uh, on the foundational programs is because, in my view, those are the most innovative uh, sort of. Aspects of, of Hutamas, Those, in particular, the two courses uh, the space course, uh, course uh, in Russian is called Prostranstvo, and uh, the course graphics, graphic construction, Grafica, uh, one by, well, let's say, conceived by Ladovsky, another conceived by uh, Rochenkara, that in my view, the two most uh, innovative pedagogies at the school, and they are uh, well. One was uh, so space actually, I would say, flourished in in a sense, and it was cons- it was actually very well managed, uh, relatively speaking, as a course. And I'll explain what I what I mean in a second. While the Rochenkos course was short lived uh, in 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 its original kind of. Um, Uh, conception and unfortunately only existed for just this kind of initial period that uh, you know we we talked about ravdell uh during that period and then uh he had to instead of opening it up to entire school uh he had to kind of i'd say keep it within the you know industrial uh, design department the metal working department that he was running uh, starting in 1923 because initially his course was conceived as part or within the painting department because they were all at first they were all painters of course they never thought of themselves as you know just artists they thought of themselves as constructors as engineers of human of human life but they uh, nevertheless were inside the uh, the kind of art uh, art realm and so then uh, after 1923 Rochenko is being transferred to this new Right, to to the new department, the production department, which, in fact, uh, I think I imagine he was quite enthusiastic, because that's the that's what he was you know pr- 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 promoting as 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 the next thing as the artist as is a constructor. So uh, the course uh, that then he designs, and by the way, here I want to thank uh, Rochenko and Stepanova Archive, and uh, in particular, uh, the grandson of Rochenko and Stepanova, Alexander Lavrentiev, who. Uh, Whose archive allowed me to uh, to share this uh, this course, the Rochenko's, uh you know, notes and and his program and his curriculum that's all, uh, exercises. So that's all thanks thanks to him. Uh, and the, the the interesting thing about Rochenko is that he, Rochenko is an artist who essentially uh, and and a teacher. Uh, but as an artist, he experiments on himself, right? So, so he's somebody who tests those exercises himself first. He's incredibly methodical in his own artistic work. And that way, he's, I would say, the kind of the earliest uh, conceptual, one of the earliest conceptual artists. Like similar, I would say, on the same, you know, right? We, we think of like Sol LeWitt or uh, Frank Stella or you know, right, this kind of incredible, or, or of course, uh, Donald Judd. And to me, Rochenko is in that same group because of the way in which he uh, first makes an assignment for himself. And that assignment has to be incredibly clear. And then he follows through that. We we see that with his, you know, spatial constructions, for example, right? Where, Where he's just, you know, he's exploring one idea after the other in this one iteration of idea after the other. It's serious. And... I would say that his teaching in that sense is, is, is critical to his artistic work, because he has to in order to teach, you have to first formulate the, the, the task, you have to formulate the question. And he is doing that through this process of uh, again, you know, through constructing this course and then you know subsequent uh, other assignments and exercises for his students. And I think that moment, or that that sort of that process, is something that perhaps is the maybe the best kept secret. I would say of the of the avant-garde, right? Because this is the one thing that maybe we didn't know about them, right? Going back to this idea of the avant-garde and how well it is described uh, by so many scholars over the uh, you know the last let's say you know again since the since the sixties. And there's been wonderful, wonderful books ever since Camilla Gray, and you know, I mean, I'm not going to go through the the, um, the the very long list of very distinguished scholars. All I would say is that that particular aspect of them teaching was, I think, incredibly important, and also for Malevich, right? Because he's also a teacher, of course, at a novice. Uh, he's right; he's creating a, a, a program there for his students, and so that uh, that Kind of connection or that need to explain yourself in clear terms, explain your ideas, uh, is uh, something that gives a kind of theoretical basis and clarity to their artistic, uh, perhaps very intuitive, right? Initial uh, experiments. And so uh, Rojinka is, is, I think. Um, particularly dedicated to this and you could see this in his notes you could see that in his um, in, in his exercises and assignments and 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 when you when one does them you can do those assignments and this is one of the things that I am uh, I'm doing in this book is, is it, it's also a textbook you could actually practice yourself you know there's an uh, there's a kind of section in the book uh, where those exercises are explained and you can you can follow them they work. I mean, you really—I've <laughs> tested them uh, over the years on various groups of uh, of students and and, and adults <laughs> and and whoever was interested—and they, they work and they really make you see if you're a total outsider. They make you understand ideas about you know dynamic space, about composition, about construction. You really can learn this, and it's actually really worthwhile. It's like you know, I would say, what couple of hours, and you can you start seeing uh that entire period if you've never done that i would really recommend uh just t- taking and doing his uh any any one of his exercises so that's um that's that uh yeah. No, well, that is I, is more complicated. Yeah, go ahead. Right.
3: No, no, no. You, uh, I would just want to quickly note. I, I do agree with you that the the pedagogical aspect of avant-garde um, is a little bit of an unknown, um, and absolutely fascinating to learn the extent to which they invested in training and thinking about, uh, as you said, you know, how do you teach something that has no precedent. So that's an absolutely kind of fascinating part and, and really valuable that you included those exercises that, that, that people can sort of look at and what, what that actually means in, in practice. Um, and um, I'm keen to hear about Lodowski and uh, just wondering if you can maybe make a note about the student body. Um, who are the students that they're teaching?
2: Yes, of course. Uh, so the student body is, uh, well, first of all, it's quite large. So if we're talking about Bauhaus, it's about 10 to even 20 times difference. And uh, the students are, uh, well, first of all, the students are mixed. They're men and women. And this is one of the kind of, again, first initial moments where women are allowed to enter the higher education institution. Of course, women are you know, educated at this point uh, as well, but they're not necessarily given diplomas of higher education. As I've learned, and because they're 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 allowed to, of course, they're working, they're in the workforce, and they are trained and they take what's so-called courses, they're special women's courses. And up until uh, the World War One, they're meaning-meaning if you want to become an architect <laughs> specifically, right? Or or some you know, a, a drafts drafts person, right? There's draftsmen, there's if you want to become a draftswoman. So they're um, their courses, but they are not they there, and they're even given a certificate, and it's an incredibly long and arduous process, and the numbers are very very small. Uh, even you know, I think 1911 is the first time we see a woman sort of get a kind of a, a, actually a certain, like a certificate of completion of um, a kind of an architectural course, and it's uh, although don't quote me on that, <laughs> in, I'm talking about in Moscow, <laughs> and. This is a whole new era, right? So uh, women are accepted um, at this point. Min- minorities are accepted, meaning meaning that uh, the tsarist Russia had Pale of Settlement, for example, right? So this is all changed, and uh, it's it's a it's a huge shift in that regard. And also, of course, um, the biggest change at that point is that, um, and it's. <laughs> I, again, I wouldn't say this uh, as a kind of so. In general, art education uh, is elitist, right? <laughs> Overall, in the in 1900s, uh, and up until I would say that it's it's rather uh, it's not accessible to everybody. Uh, art and architecture education it's it's something that's uh, you know few people uh, have access to. And at this point, Futamas really attempts to democratize. This and change this, and uh, you know, bring in people of formally disenfranchised social backgrounds. So, poor peasantry, the uh, of course, the proletarian uh, class in general is not just welcome but encouraged to enter the school. The school is free for uh, for the students there, even uh, depending on you know, again, where they come from, and and a couple of other. Factors, they're even, in some cases, given uh, stipends. There are also options for them to continue working throughout. And uh, students are also accepted without completing uh, even a secondary school degree. So in they establish what's called workers' faculty, RAPFAC, where uh, you know, if a student wants to enter, in this case, hutamas, they're able to come in and train for a couple of years to sort of cover that gap, right, that requires them to then enter this uh, higher level of education. So RAPFAC is very important because they're also able to. Those are faculties for the working class students, and they also allow uh, for, I think, parallel uh, work that they're able to, the, the students are able to you know, earn. A living as well and they are also of course living in the communal settings we know of, of the kind of Hutamas commune again those are all uh, you know perhaps again we can argue about the or we can talk about the the kind of uh, challenging living conditions but at the same time everybody had at that point or a lot of people had very challenging living conditions in 1920s so so the fact that the students had those opportunities uh, was really uh, I think you know, a testament to the kind of uh, huge shift and this idea of, again, democratizing education, making it accessible to the masses. And uh, that's why this idea of creating a coherent methodology, right, creating a foundational program that could be uh, could be sort of understood by anyone and could be, anybody could be it trained It doesn't matter uh, whether you're talented, whether it doesn't matter what your kind of initial level of education is, you can go through this program and it will be almost, let's say, kind of bulletproof, right? It will be like something that you would would come out on the other side and uh, you'd come in as an outsider and come out as somebody who is very much, you know, a part of this uh, new paradigm of, in this case, of the kind of avant-garde moment. Yeah.
3: Uh, on, on that point, I was wondering, um, you mentioned that you know, Utemas was really about, the main, its main task was this reconstruction of everyday life and from mm-hmm. the chair to the city, that's, as you put it in your book. Um, and I was wondering if you can tell us a little bit uh, about a project or two where we can really see uh, the principles of this school, how, how they are captured and how they are
2: transformed. Of course, yeah. And I mean, um, they literally made chairs. And they literally designed cities. So that's kind of what I, what I mean. It's not necessarily that there is one project that has everything, although they did have <laughs> projects that will operate on multiple scales. Uh, but in general, the idea that the school operated on multiple scales, right? That the, that the education uh, could, the because of the eight departments the textiles, ceramics, uh, metalworking, woodworking, sculpture, architecture. Uh, Painting and uh, print or graphics, right? You had uh, a variety of scales already right there. You had uh, students producing books, you had students producing uh, teapots, you had students producing, uh, you know, sort of huge murals or uh, small, uh, you know, tiny little objects. So that was plates, you know, whatever it was. Uh, And of course, with architecture, you had um, a huge interest in. Kind of, I would say again, I don't like the word "revolutionize," but but uh, I think it's appropriate here to really revolutionize the, uh, you know, kind of on the grand scale, the major public buildings and cities as such. And with public buildings, there was a huge interest in kind of the new, uh, the new assembly building for. Uh, both for the society at large, and we see that culminating already in the, of course, in the '30s with the uh, Palace of Soviets, right, which is from a we always associated with a different, uh, with a Stalinist paradigm. But in fact, they were designing a temple for the people from the very beginning. And you can think of Tatlin's monument to the Third International as as that as well, right? I mean, in a way, it's a, it's a it's a it's the building that is for the entire nation. And uh, Ladovsky produces one (laughs) as well. And uh, and they're they're sort of obsessed with this uh, new structure. And many of the diploma projects reflect that obsession. So they're designing the Palace of Congresses. uh, They're designing the Palace of Labor. And so we see those huge public buildings where uh, it's all about kind of congregation and it's all about, again, social condensing and uh, creating this kind of massive massive uh, spectacle right that uh, that that has to be uh, you know a place where society is being forged. So this is one 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 kind of consistent type. Uh, they are designing new cities and the most I think stunning is the flying city by Georgi Krutikov, which is uh, which caused, a huge reaction, of course, at Futamas, but it's incredibly well-researched project uh, that actually proposes that, uh, you know, we are at some point will be living in space and uh, the Earth would be a place where, uh, dedicated to solely to industrial production, and I think if we keep moving at the rate that we're moving, we might be heading to the, the next extinction, and therefore, and, and therefore, yes, we might have to consider that. Uh, but that's that's the sort of the one, I guess, extreme. But also in terms of the chairs, they really were rethinking, you know, the chair. And Rochenko Studio in particular produces very interesting projects where, where they're looking into this kind of transformer furniture or furniture that that has universal properties where you could take one object and it will do many things so for example uh one of the most genius ones i think is the bed sorry is yeah the bed that is a table (laughs) So, so you have this bed that actually folds in into itself and becomes a tabletop Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, in, 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 yeah. you mentioned
3: that this is kind of a period of shortages and and in your book um and the production of these kind of uh, objects for multiple types of uses is is uh really at the forefront of their of their work and you say in your book that you know, they're trying to understand you know how this place where people eat sleep and work how do you elevate that from uh, something into something modern rather than indigent and it really struck me you know most of us has have experienced some form of a lockdown in the past two years, and mm-hmm. we had to eat, sleep, and work at the same thing, <laughs> uh, same space. And, and some of these projects really resonate in a very different way today with us. I think.
2: Exactly. Yeah. I think our life, and this is what why uh, why I think this whole project is interesting, is because we're undergoing again. I mean, I wouldn't map it directly, but we're undergoing today, obviously, a, a huge shift in our daily lives. And uh, therefore, like you said, I mean, design is one way to address that change, right? How do we live? How do we sleep? How do we eat? Can we? What, what? What if we only have room for one table? Can that table be converted into a dining table, into a drafting table, into a you know crafts station, and also serve as a as a as a couch? You know, can, can you do that? And so, trochenko students did that. There is a table that does all of those things. And it's and it's incredible right it, it actually can it operates as this kind of transformer so yeah, yeah so absolutely. that's a cool project
3: <laughs> yeah no absolutely and as I said it resonates in very new ways um, with us today um, I was wondering if you uh, we can talk a little bit about the broader impact that futimas had um, it, it did last only for a decade but um, in your book you know just that the impact that it had not just within the Soviet Union but more broadly internationally can you tell us a little bit about that
2: of course, I would say that it was at the time of its existence, uh, and perhaps even we can take a specific moment, like the 1925 exhibition in uh, Paris, uh, the Art Deco-, Deco, right, famous exhibition, where Le Corbusier, of course, shows his pavilion Esprit Nouveau and and Melnikov shows his famous kind of uh, pavilion with a crisscross uh, roof uh, and uh, Futimas students' uh, projects are exhibited and they win all sorts of prizes. And actually, they really put the school on the map. There's uh, a lot of buzz that that happened. There's a lot of things that are being <laughs> brought in from uh, from the Soviet Union and exhibited at the Grand Palais in, in, in Paris. And of course, so Melnikov is the Futimas professor, Rochenko, who has his uh, shows, uh, his club, uh, workers' club, Interior is a footmaster professor. So it's really that moment where I think the school is uh, gaining the international reputation, right, Uh, because of its faculty and because of its students. So that's a specific moment. And uh, also it is uh, the works are quite widely published. Again, they're not always it's not always clear that it's student work, but they are. they do get recognition. The faculty gets a lot of recognition uh, for different aspects. So there's also a lot of uh, exchange at you know, kind of the early 20s uh, and mid-20s uh, with, uh, as I said, with the Bauhaus. So um, there's correspondence and there's some reciprocal visits. So this all, um, you know, it's a, I think it's a very kind of closely looked at and rather well-known Moment, you know, in the center of activity of Hutamas at the time. So, uh, and I would say in 1927, there is a big exhibition uh, of uh, modern architecture that also gets, uh, I think, quite a lot of attention that's right at that school. And it's sort of so, this is the first time that there is, you know, modern architecture projects and uh, uh, get exhibited inside the school. And they show also the Bauhaus work and they show the uh, work of uh, Fuuta students and Futimas faculty of uh, different uh, you know different groups, I would say. So uh, there's, yeah, quite 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 a bit of recognition at that point, uh, meaning at the time of its existence. Mm-hmm.
3: And is that the case today um, within the kind of history of modernism, where is Putmus placed?
2: I would say, it's beginning hopefully and my and my hope is that it's uh being uh resituated within the history of modern architecture and design and it's a slow process because it is uh it was i would say written out from history uh by uh by the uh, by the state in the 30s, but it was also not some, you know, the school was not necessarily, uh, or, you know, kind of, that the details about uh, about the school were, uh, after it's after it's shut down, uh, there was no interest in promoting it. It was also, you know, as I said, because of this, it was so big that it, and it wasn't the kind of boutique, school like Bauhaus in a sense that uh and I don't mean it in a, a derogatory sense, I mean it in a sense that there was a coherence of message, at least under Gropius, even though yes, of course, there were other camps that were, you know, Eaton and then Macholinaj and there's, you know, there's of course Bauhaus itself was quite, we you know uh very well today that it was full of also, you know, dynamic, let's say, disagreements. But Futamas on a on a much larger scale was so large that it was very difficult to kind of you know, pigeon to, to, to sort of you know to 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 wrap it into one kind of clear package, you know that it wasn't uh, it they, yes they they were incredible radical teachers there like Ladovsky and Rochenko, but they were also wonderful uh, incredible but very traditionalist teachers there as well. so and they you know, the work that comes out of the school is, it's very, very diverse, and I personally think that it's very interesting that you have this uh, variety, that you have uh, the different viewpoints, and I think that that actually makes the school uh, fascinating because there's still a strong academic, uh, let's say, you know, camp within the school that remains throughout, even in, even in architecture and of course in painting and in sculpture, and so. It's it's a it's a difficult phenomenon to describe because you cannot just say all of it was uh, avant-garde. It wasn't actually a small part of it was, but this whole school was was not.
3: Yes, it's a little bit hard to to. Um characterize it, I guess, and you put it in one simple kind of category in that sense. Exactly, exactly, yeah. 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 Now, I have to admit, one of the biggest discoveries that I found in your book uh, was the story of uh, Ludmila Mayakovskaya, the older sister of famous poet Vladimir Mayakovsky, um, And her connection to the school, to Futemas, I don't think this is a widely known story. And I was wondering if you can tell us a little bit about her role in Futemas. And you already mentioned a little bit about position of women, but if you can maybe tell us a bit more about women in this school, both as teachers and and students. Um, Yeah.
2: Of course, yeah. No, she also was, uh, I would say, I I admit she was a discovery for me as well, because I... uh, you know, I, I knew of her, and of course we all know Mayakovsky. We, by the way, he he was uh, he, he was also a Futurist student at some point. Well, actually, he was a student at the at the precursor of Futurism, and he uh, was trained as an artist. So and he was actually quite involved with uh, with various uh, teachers uh, at Huthamas, working with of course Rochenko and others. And he uh, and I think uh, often, from what I understand, doing poetry readings uh, there. And uh, his sister is uh, is is amazing because she was one of the first women to hold executive positions at the textile at the two major textiles factories in Moscow. And she um, actually not only knew the, uh, let's say, the craft and the technology of the textile production, but was incredibly, again, experimental. She invented this so-called kind of aerography technique where I would say, I mean, when you look at the work uh, that she did in kind of, well, basically, material, you know, creating patterns, various patterns for uh, for fabrics. It is uh, stunning because it's really about uh, the process and the kind of logic of the process. Again, this is going back to this idea that uh, they are, as, as teachers, they're incredibly consistent in terms of their kind of algorithm, <laughs> almost, right, of operations and how does one uh, right. Once you have a certain a certain way of doing something, the technique and the method, then you are able, regardless, regardless of 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 your taste of your anything, you know, you can you can produce something very very you know interesting, right? And so she makes those uh, fascinating patterns where there's really, and this is what you know, I think maybe what caught your eye. As it did mine is this uh, series of fabrics that have both kind of very structured and very, I would say, right, it's all about the kind of the, the um, chance, right? It's uh, organic, very structured and very organic pattern at the same time. And so she uh, you know she creates kind of whole series of those. and uh, she teaches at the school again the entire time. She starts and uh, you know from the beginning and she is there throughout the whole uh, the whole decade. and she uh, she doesn't run the department actually it's uh, there are several uh, other chairs, but she is a you know a professor throughout this uh, throughout the decade and she has, Many students who uh, come uh, through her uh, through her tenure, and uh, there are actually many of them. You know, many of them come on the other side, and they become um, uh, you know important uh, fabric designers, important textile designers, and produce uh, you know all of those uh, beautiful, beautiful, uh, striking. Uh, fabrics that we kind of associate with with the period. So uh, there is a you know there, this is actually I would say kind of a, a huge success story we, we can we can say. And uh, what else what else we can, we can say about her? She's I mean the department actually the textile department is interesting because when we compare it to the Bauhaus one, uh, they're they they are always working with the factories so there is a kind of uh right so there is a they they're being taught the students are being taught inside the school the principles and the techniques and then they go into the factories and they practice you know they actually they actually become part of the uh, production process and they you know they they're able to produce their designs at the mass scale already uh, as part of their educational training, so it's a very interesting model, I think, and this is yeah. One of I the,
3: guess it's an area that really closely connected that concept of art and industry in its in its practice.
2: Exactly, exactly, and we're also lucky to have in this case we're lucky to have uh, let's say the archival materials, literally <laughs> materials, because they're you know they're they're flat, right? So their they're incredible collection, I would say in this case in the Maikovsky Museum. Which is where I, I got most of the samples from Ludmila Maykovska, and the Maykovska Museum, of course, is you know mainly dedicated to the work and life of her brother, but 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 also happened to have uh, her her beautiful uh, you know fabrics and uh, I mean there are hundreds hundreds of samples and her and her students as well.
3: Well, um, we, we can only hope that they uh, put up an exhibition of her work, because as I said, her I, I yes. know of, of her involvement, I guess, um, a little bit through the story, really, of, of Vladimir Majakovsky and the, the birth of the avant-garde, but really her own engagement in the movement and, and practice, really, artistic practice, is not something that's commonly known, unfortunately. So yeah, huge opportunity there, I guess.
2: <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right, actually. Yeah, we should.
3: <laughs> yeah. Uh, Anna, this is such a rich piece of work, and I want you to to thank you for joining us today to talk about your book. Absolutely fascinating uh, a study and collection of visual materials that I think everyone uh, w- will find something kind of fascinating and curious. Um, I wanted to thank you for, for joining us today, but also wondering if you can tell us maybe just quickly what are you working on at the moment?
2: Sure, and thank you again. Uh, two questions <laughs> that emerged uh, as part of uh, you know, writing this book were uh, what happened after <laughs> put right and also what got built right what what are the you know what what ideas got realized and actually you know realized in terms of uh, architectural and urban projects so uh, in terms of what happened after uh, meaning immediately after in the 30s um, I uh, been fascinated with the textbook called elements of architectural composition which in fact was written uh, by the just, let's say disciples or affiliates of Lodovsky uh, and published in 1934. The book was actually something what uh, they worked on or they conceived of together already in the 20s, later 20s but it, uh you know Again, through this uh, historical editing <laughs> process, uh, only three of them, and not Ladovsky, unfortunately, uh, published it in 1934. And uh, that's an interesting moment because this is the moment where uh, it's clear that the, that the transition has happened, I think, to everybody. But at the same time, they're still hoping to keep, and they literally say this, to hold on to uh, some of the Important takeaways from the 20s, from what they've done, from the core space, <laughs> and, so, and so they um, attempt to produce a textbook that would, uh, you know, basically claim that there is this kind of universal system of principles, almost a kind of meta order uh, that could work despite or with perhaps any. In any uh, style, any period, any type of architecture, that there is actually a series of um, you know kind of abstract universal elements uh, that they distilled, and they uh, they illustrate the book with uh, this kind of scientific diagrams uh, that they make. Uh, they talk about I don't know rhythm and uh, and again composition and some very very basic elements, uh, geometric um, patterns, etc., textures, uh, and they accompany them with examples from history. And we're not talking just about Renaissance and classical antiquity, but there's actual examples from Egypt, from China, from of Far East uh, and uh, Siberia and et cetera, et cetera. So so that's a very rich, uh, in my opinion, very interesting document that talks about not just the disruption that the Stalinism brought, but also perhaps the continuity and the retaining of some of the uh, discoveries and inventions of the avant-garde pedagogy.
3: Oh, that sounds absolutely fascinating.
2: Yeah, and the project is on the workers' clubs and the palaces of culture, which actually is something that I've been working on for quite a while. And so uh, that is called uh, "Lessons from the Social Condensers," and that is about, of course, the typology that is the workers' clubs and palaces of, you know, culture. That so the 20s and the 30s, so this assembly buildings that uh, that are actually, you know, there there are hundreds of them <laughs> that were designed and built during the period that, in my opinion, embody the, again, the ideas of the avant-garde and the uh, agency of architecture to shape society. So that's another project and
3: well, hopefully
2: I, I, yeah, no, see soon.
3: yeah that sounds really terrific and I, I do hope um yeah i wish you all the best of luck uh, with those projects and I, I, we hope to have you back once those are uh, out and about <laughs> thank you anna oh, again wonderful. for sharing this thank you so thank much you. for sharing your research with us and being with us today what a great study thank you thank
2: you eva